0: Welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we're going to talk about the power of leveraging our corporate alumni network. Oftentimes, we think about our coworkers as just like the people we work with, But how often do we see them as people who can elevate our careers in the long term? So today, I brought on James Sinclair, CEO and co-founder of Enterprise Alumni. As the market-leading alumni and retiree engagement platform, Enterprise Alumni powers the corporate alumni networks of the world's largest companies, leveraging this untapped pool of people for talent, sales, marketing, and community. James has a background in large enterprise innovation, having worked for companies including IBM... SAP, and EDS. Outside of his day job, he's a media contributor on the future of work, large enterprise innovation, and entrepreneurship. So as you can see, James is the ultimate spokesperson for this topic. And this episode is going to really help you rethink what the word networking means so you can have an even more fulfilling career. Let's launch right into it with our 161st episode of the Career Warrior Podcast. All right, James, how are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. 161. That's incredible. Thank you so much. And that is a very good number to be a part of. So glad you can be here today. And I know when we last talked, you you know we had a really good stimulating conversation about networking. You said something along the lines of maintaining your networking as your net worth. And I just love that. I think that's incredible. So what a great way to kick off this topic. Can you please expand on that statement of maintaining your networking as your net worth?
1: I think... When we think your network is your net worth, and a lot of people have said it, there's books about it. The reality is everything does come around. If you think about all the major kind of life events that happen, a lot of them happen because of an introduction, a referral, someone giving you some knowledge, someone telling you something. And people don't think about early in their career, they don't think about their network as their net worth because perhaps everyone's early in their career. And therefore, what can you do for me? And there's a little bit of the selfish intentions. But- as you're starting in your early career progression, it's really important to realize that the people to your left and to your right in three, five, 10, 12 years are going to be leaders of massive organizations. And they all started in the same onboarding as you, in the same company as you. And I think it's important to think about that day one. And that's what I really mean by your network is your net worth. It is the amount of doors you can have open for you through your network. It is just a fact and I don't think anyone would really dispute it.
0: Yeah, I think that's incredible and I think we will definitely open up some minds here because oftentimes we go through our days like zombies. We just go in, we do our routine, we talk with the people we normally talk with. We're not often thinking about each one of these people as, you know, networking opportunities. And so I think that's the beauty of what we're going to be talking about today. First of all, I know the word alumni can confuse some people. So, there's alumni like people you've graduated with from university and there's corporate alumni. But what is the difference here? And what are we going to be talking about today?
1: It's almost the same kind of word, which is an alumni as someone who's graduated from an event or something. Corporate alumni really relates to the organizations you worked for. And if you think about it as an employer for a second, they spend a lot of time and money looking for great candidates or, or potential candidates they can turn into great candidates. They spend even more money training you, developing you. And when you leave, most organizations maybe a blue and some cupcakes, a high five. But what you're starting to see is organizations say, "Well, well, we invested some significant money and time into you and your career. You're leaving. We want to stay in touch because as you go out in the world and get new contacts, experience, whatever that might be, it might be an opportunity for you to return here."
0: Exactly, and it's so funny that you mentioned that because looking back in you know 50, 60, whatever years ago, people spent so much more time in you know working with your companies but now the turnover it feels like 3 years 4 years that people will stay that could even be long for some people
1: so absolutely 3 years is exactly what it is people are now working according to the kind of model of high performing teams you come in you do a project and then you reevaluate where you want to be so i think that's the mentality i think a phrase that i heard recently that i loved was my dad had one job for life i'm going to have four jobs in my life my kid has four jobs right now and i think Aside from the humor of it, I think that's really telling because I think it's really accurate. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of people have side hustles, side jobs, bits and pieces. I've got an amazing example about a guy who works at GE day-to-day in manufacturing on the supply chain. And at night, he's part of the maker community. And I didn't actually know what this was. So just to explain it, it's this device, it's a couple of hundred dollars that essentially prints on demand, this plastic print on demand. It's called the maker community. And- At night, he leads a group of about 100,000 makers on building this amazing stuff kind of from your desk at home. And what he started doing in February was putting together these plans with his 100,000 person community for PPE. Essentially, we can make masks. We can make all these things from our house and ship them to our local hospitals. So when GE got into the conversation of what can we be doing, this guy stood up and said, we don't have to. Repurpose, re X, we can use the maker community. We can use print on demand. And so you saw a guy whose side hustle passion suddenly became a driver of actually his work and his job. And all of a sudden, you know, what he was doing day to day completely changed. And suddenly his side hustle became his main hustle.
0: I love that. I love stories like that because I think like that happened almost for me with Leti Grandma. It's like this thing that I was doing on the side in addition to my job became my actual dream job. So I think people should also expand their minds in that way. And so, James, when it comes to the alumni network, I want to get people motivated because you're going to be giving some people some amazing things and strategies for networking, essentially. So why do you think the alumni network is so powerful? And do you have any
1: stories, even success stories? So I think it's powerful for a number of reasons. Number one is you share a common bond. Now it might not be the same, you know, depth of bond that you have with university alumni, as in we both went to IU, we have a deep sense of purpose around IU and the logo and the the football team. It's not quite the same in organisations, but there is a similarity. There is a an excuse to get in contact. You have one more thing in common with that human that you want to reach out to, and I think people always forget that. What LinkedIn and all these tools have given you is you are one step away and one good email away. From connecting with anyone in the world period and so anything you can do to leverage anything somewhere in the pipeline you should and so when we think about alumni networks and what our companies are doing it's they're basically saying to the alumni community hey how can we help you how can we serve you and, and you know you have five generations of alumni you have everyone from an intern to a retiree and everyone wants something different but if we take the early career people What do they want? They want mentors. They want learning. They want side hustle. They want project work. They want discounts. It's very clear. They want career development. And one of the things a lot of our customers are telling us that's really interesting is they're starting to help early career people understand what it means to have core skills. And a really good example of core skill is actually a big restaurant chain, probably one of the biggest in the country. And they call themselves kind of America's first employer. And majority of people that come out of high school and Work at this restaurant. It's their first job. No one's that thrilled to be working here. It's your first job. You have to serve people and you've got to put on the the whole outfit and whatever that might be. However, a majority of people leave because they do something called no call, no show. They wake up late.
0: I'm all too familiar with that as a past restaurant manager.
1: I know exactly. Yes, the pain and the reality. And so let's think about the reasons no call, no show. The, The number one reason. He said, this guy said, it's because they overslept or they forgot or they were doing something stupid. The second reason is they get a better job. And the third is they just can't be bothered anymore. It's just not enough money. They still live at home. They're not dependent on the income. So there's almost a little bit of an effort. And he said when they leave and they no call, no show, he actually feels a huge sense of failure for two reasons. Number one is now that person and that person's family can't come in the restaurant. Because they can't come back because, you know, the kid's going to be like, oh, we can't go there to celebrate grandma's birthday because the manager called no showed on. So he's like, number one is I lose 40 customers. The minute a no-call, no-show happens, I lose 40 customers, which I can't afford to do in my community. The second is it means I didn't teach that person a core life skill, which is that the ostrich head in the sand strategy is not a sound strategy. But no one is teaching these kids, hey, it's OK if you were to ring your manager and be like, I overslept. I apologize. What can I do to make this right? The manager may still have a little bit of a tantrum, but ultimately the manager will say, okay, here's what I want you to do. Pick up a shift here, do a double there. Can you help me here? And so I thought that was a really interesting perspective from a leader or a CHRO in a restaurant company saying it's his responsibility to teach people that head in the sand is not a strategy because who else is teaching them? And I thought that was a really interesting piece about this kind of alumni network is around this is not about competencies. These are life skills. I want to touch
0: upon these life skills that we should be learning to develop us in our careers later on. I think that's such an important strategy. But let's move into the heart of the podcast here, which are these things we should be doing within our networking and within our strategy. Really, like let's, let's just say I, I entered my first day at work. I'm in a new company. What should I be thinking about doing from a networking standpoint when I'm at my new job?
1: So number one is at the beginning of your career, it's all about consumption, consumption of data, consumption of knowledge, consumption of people, consumption of everything. I mean, we have one of the customers we're working with, one of the people on the alumni team is a vocational trainee, which is someone who basically does three months in all of these different positions across the company. And we said to her, hey, before we can you know, start with you and we'll do whatever you want, we want to understand what's your goal. Where do you want to get to? What do you want to be? And she's like, oh, I haven't really thought about that. I was like, what do you mean? You're in a vocational trainee program. Where, where do you want to come? Where do you want to be in a year? Where do you want to be in two years? It's like, you know, no one's ever asked me that question. I was like, well, I don't know how to help you be part of this team unless I understand what's going to excite you and what's going to make you happy and what's going to make you all these things. By the way, the company is unbelievable, has the most amazing program, and they have an amazing intake graduate program. So, so kudos to them. You know, when I spoke to this guy, I said, hey, can I give you just some career perspectives, not advice, because this is just my perspective. Number one. You want to look at how you can make an impact all the way up the chain. You know, this isn't just about making sure you're doing your day to day job of, you know, you're a vocational trainee. You're not changing the world. But I was like, have you read this customers or this company's, you know, share statement, their revenue and their forecast and their projections? Have you even read that? Do you even know the core values of the company you work for? And she's like, well, you know, I I think so. I think it was in the letter I got. I said, OK, so I've opened it because they're my customer and I want to know what they're trying to do. So, you know, let's go through it together. And we went through it and she was like, oh, my God, I've just learned more about this company in eight seconds than, you know, I have being here for eight months because I chose to consume. And I think that's the number one lesson. Consume, go onto the intranet, read, consume, learn, and also have the guts to reach out. If someone is doing an initiative inside the company that you like or you think is clever or you think you can help with or you want to learn from. Send the email. I think a lot of people are scared of like, well, I can't email Sally. I'm not, you know, I'm not all the way up there. I'm not the same career progression. And this is not, hey, Sally, I want you to be my mentor. This is, hey, I love the program you're running here. And I'd love to know what can do or what I can do to be a part of it. And a majority of people inside of companies, especially when you work inside the company, will say, amazing, would love to. And so I really think early career people forget to just network up by offering themselves. That's what you have. You have time. You have more time than anyone else because you don't have the same deadlines or the same financial priorities as perhaps higher up the chain. So that's my number one thing is network through delivering value. How can I help you? I'd like to be part of this. How can I be impactful? So
0: James, you're saying that even though I have this other job that I have to learn, I have to you know, get competent at, I still should be looking to go above and beyond and work in these other areas. How do I find the time for that? I mean, it sounds like a lot.
1: The answer is you're in a trainee program. You're in your first job. Maybe you're not in training. Maybe you're in your first job. You reach out to this person who's maybe doing something around communities or diversity and you say, Hey, I love what you're doing. Is there anything I can be doing for you? You've got to remember that if you end up doing something or not doing something, that person now knows you as a go getter. That person now knows you as someone who stood up and volunteered. And you'll be surprised how quickly your career changes and you get taken to the left and to the right because someone is like, Hey, I remember him. He emailed me. I remember her. She was part of this thing where I needed some some advice or some help or something. She was the voice of the intern community. The key is, how do you find time? You make time.
0: I asked that question because I know there still are some people who feel like they just don't have time for it. and like we've done past podcast episodes, you know, about exercise and making time for your mental health and things like that. And that is the key message is like you have to make time for it. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Like actually sit down in front of your calendar, or your Gmail or whatever, and block out that 30 minutes to start reaching
1: out to people and be intentional about it. That's a core competency, again, is time management. Who or what company teaches you how to manage your time? Because time is just a prioritization exercise. And here's the thing. Everyone is busy. It's so unfair of me to say, actually, someone early in their career isn't as busy as me. It's not true. Everyone is busy in their own way. Everyone is as busy as each other type of thing. But it's about prioritization. It's about organization, about optimization. You know, it's you choose whether or not to ring your mum to say hello and I love you. That's a choice that you make. You could find two minutes to do that. Take that exact same scenario to researching on the corporate intranet and finding some people that interest you. But it's also the thing is you want to go out of your comfort zone. You want to jump in there and try things and see things and learn things because the other thing is you have no idea what you want to do for a living. The reason you have no idea what you want to do for a living is you haven't done anything. And I don't mean that, again, with any disrespect. What I mean is what happens if someone pulled you into this new department you didn't even know existed? R&D, R&D project management. You're now in this weird department. You don't even know what R&D means. You're working for this amazing person who said, I love your, you know, your moxie. I love your stuff. Come work with us. You transfer and you're like, wow, this is what I love doing. All of a sudden, you're in engineering. You know, you fell out of marketing, now you're in engineering. The key being is most people see career progression because they fall in a pothole, as in they weren't expecting it and something happens. And I think you've got to be really open to that. And I think you've got to invest time as an individual in your career progression. Where do you want to be in a year, two year, five year, 10 year? And the example I'll give you is McDonald's. McDonald's have a program that they came out with, they did a lot of press around it called Where Do You Want to Be?, which was to help people early in their career kind of understand their career trajectory. And a lot of people said, I wanna be a franchisee. But in your head, how the hell do you go from making chicken nuggets to being a franchisee? Like the leap is so big, it's almost so unfair to think that someone can make that leap. But the reality is hundreds of franchisees have made that leap. And there's stories of people who've done it before you. And so there is a path. So McDonald's is showing people how to think about career progression. You know, it starts making chicken nuggets, then it goes to manager, then it goes to this then it goes to this. There is actually a pathway to your career. And I think people need to allocate a little bit of time on saying, where do I want to be? What do I want to explore? How do I get out of my comfort zone? And don't underestimate yourself. Look, the reality is if you send an email to someone important in the company saying, hey, I want you to be my mentor because I read something like that, they're going to say, cool, I'm too busy. But if you actually offer the one thing you have, which is, hey, I love what you're working on. This is really interesting to me. I would be happy to dedicate a little bit of time to it. Is there anything I can do to help? Is there anything I can do to help you? It's very difficult to not get a reply to that because you're not asking, you're not saying you need something. You're not saying I want, you're saying, how can I be of service? It would take a special kind of person to not reply and totally ignore you. Yeah, especially, I mean, I can
0: understand cold reach outs. I think we've advocated for something similar in the past, like reaching out to people on LinkedIn cold which it's hit or miss sometimes because if you get, you know, a random reach out and it's really well written, I might reply, I may not reply. But if someone is actually within your company, that kind of changes things. I think that's a really powerful statement. And hopefully we've motivated some people to take action here. And I want to circle back to what you mentioned about having a mentor, because I think that's something we don't talk about enough. What is the value of having a mentor in the long term?
1: Number one is let's replace the word mentor with guidance counselors because I think it's important to not always formalize it. Like not everyone has time to be your mentor. And the minute you say the word mentor, one second, now I have an obligation. I don't want to fail you. So it's easier to say no than it is to say yes and fail you. Because people, as you get more senior, tend to be better about prioritizing their time and knowing their availability. So if you say mentor, they may say, I love the idea. I just know my prioritization and you're not currently in there. Apologies. So Instead, what you want is, you know, think about it like having a board of directors. And to some people, it's their parents, it's their mom and dad are their first mentors. To other people, it's family members, it's their first employers. But the key is having people in your network that you can reach out to, to bounce an idea off. When you don't have experience of failure, you need to lean on other people's experience of failure and success and recovery and risk and all of these things. And these are people who have traveled the road before you. And you want that opportunity to have that. So the other thing is when you find someone, uh, you know, a boss that you fall in love with, there's someone in the company that you're like, wow, like very often I see leaders that I talk to and I'm like, wow, where were you early in my career? You would have been incredible. I would have run and gravitated to you and be like, I want to work for you. And they would be like, what? And I would be like, that's it. I want to work for you. Just tell me what you need me to do. And I think those are the things that I wish I had a little bit more guts earlier in my career to do. That when I see an opportunity or I see someone I want to work for to actually say, I don't know how, I don't know where, but I want to come work for you because I believe in what you're saying. I love what you're saying. You're authentic. You have integrity. You're a natural leader. I got excited just listening to you. I want to be on this train. Again, it's really difficult for someone not to respond to an email like that because it's a really fair email. You talk about cold emails. You know, the issue with the cold email is the lack of balance. It's not necessarily a 50-50, you know, the person sending the email is basically asking something of someone they've never met. But when you open it with these very authentic and human statements, run, I would tell anybody that's the one thing, look, I'm very happy with, and I wouldn't change much around my career progression because I had amazing mentors who gave me guidance, who made me stop and think about my progression and the steps I took and helped me in areas that I needed. But that ability to run to someone and gravitate and say, hey, I just want to be part of your team. And these people turn into mentors. They start as work colleagues. They start as bosses. They start as leaders. And you build a relationship with them that allows you to phone them and say, hey, can I run something by you? Hey, do you mind if I take 20 minutes and talk about my career? You don't open with, hey, I want to have a 20 minute mentor meeting. No, I'd rather do anything but that. But again, this is all about the approach, which is if you like who you work for and you like your boss or you like your boss's boss and you've got to go up that chain, your opportunity for growth. Comes from that knowledge chain, the ability to say, hey, you know, I'm trying to map out my career and the best way to get there. Can I spend 15 minutes with you? Again, really difficult to tell someone early in their career. No, I'm going to fail you right now early in your career and give you a hard no on that.
0: I know we're not formalizing it here, but I'm such a logical, schedule driven person. But how often should I be meeting with this career counselor or mentor or whatever you want to call it to maintain a good, you know, solid relationship?
1: Well, number one, send them something on their birthday. Every year, without fail, do not miss that period. Boom! It's such a boom, and it's a nothing. And they don't expect you to be sending them a Faberge egg. You know what I mean? They're very happy with a nice bottle of whiskey, and you know, and a card saying thank you. But think about how few people probably do that. And you're looking to set yourself apart. So how often? Well, you now have one because they're going to phone you straight after they get your bottle of whiskey and ask you how you're doing. And so now you have your one meeting. The second is you can either time it around life events and that way you're not forcing the person in the schedule. You've gotta work to that person's schedule. You have gotta work to how they best work. Like some people will say, you know, I had a mentor who basically said, I don't have that time, but if you want time from me, you can sit in my golf cart for the first nine holes when I play golf. And I was like, yeah, it wasn't even a question. Like one sec, let me get this straight. I'm gonna get two hours dedicated, you're not on your phone, you're not doing meetings, you're happy, you're smiling, I'm going to meet your friends who are all powerful. Like, where do I sign up? I'll do the whole 18. Do you want me to bring sandwiches? Do you want me to bring snacks? Like, so you've got to be, when you think about asking someone for a mentor, you've got to have empathy. And I think that's the third thing that people also don't have core training on. So core training on how to fail and talk to your manager, core training on how to think about your career. The other core training is having empathy of what you're asking for someone and what it means to them. And you've got to imagine you're on the other side of the email and How they're gonna say no. I always start with that. How is the person gonna look at this email and say no to me? And then I backtrack the email into a yes. And you're still gonna get a no every now and again, but what you're doing is you're playing a risk game.
0: James, I want to hear your opinion on this. I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast about mentorship and one idea that I think he had was first of all, he called out the fact that if you reach out to someone saying, like, do you need a volunteer or can I help you out with something? While in theory it sounds good but the problem with it is you've just officially given that other person a thing on their to-do list. They have to now brainstorm and think about something for you to do as the person that they would be mentoring or you know, doing whatever volunteer experience. But his idea was, if you're the person reaching out to end up partnering with someone, that you should come up with an idea or some sort of project based on what you think that their needs would be because instantly, it takes the whole workload out of giving them a task to do out of the equation. So what do you think about
1: that? And have you practiced anything, anything like that in the past? I mean, that's a given. That's having empathy for someone is, you know, how do I get a yes? You got to work into the yes. And that is doing the work for them. The best thing you can ever do for someone is the work for them. So yes, whether it's brainstorming, whether it's saying some ideas, I have a belief that if you're internal in an organization, it's okay to say, I love what you're doing I don't know enough about it, but I know that I want to be part of it. I think you can actually do that when you're talking to someone inside your organization because they will give you an extra few seconds that perhaps random Bob wouldn't get.
0: Yeah, it was random Bob. I think the context of the Tim Ferriss episode was, but you are right. They'd probably give you some more thought there. You you get extra five seconds,
1: basically. Look, when you're random Bob, you've got to put it all out in front of them. You've got to just do all the work. You've got to remove that. He's 100% right. I'm not a massive fan of, you know, people who send emails without thinking about the response, you know, so very often when people come to me and, you know, I'm a mentor to a few people, but again, under a different name, which is just guidance, which is call me if you need something, check in with me every now and again. I'm good. You know what I mean? I don't necessarily have to have cadence because cadence is a, a little difficult for me sometimes. But yeah, you, when I see an email coming out that they're going to do to LinkedIn to a few people, I ask them how they're going to respond. They're like, What do you mean? I'm like, well, what's the response going to be to this? And everyone's always like, they're going to be like, yeah, I would love to. I'm like, no, no one's going to respond, yeah, I'd love to, to your email. Instead, they're just going to ignore it because it's easier. People will always take the easiest route more often than not. And I, again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm generalizing this so unfair because I respond to some in general. It's easier, exactly as Tim said, one less thing am I my to do. I'm just going to ignore it. I don't have to ever see them. I don't know them, so I never have to make eye contact with them. So I can just ignore you and literally turn to my right and now I'm done. And especially people who get such a high volume of, let's call it LinkedIn in-mails or whatever it is. I also believe that you don't do it on LinkedIn, that you send an email, you do the research, you send the email directly. But I think the going cold and looking out for people, you've got to remember you're competing with thousands of others. Work within your area, your sphere of influence that you know you can succeed in. In your company, in your sphere, in your circle, through a connection, something that gives you one iota of an advantage versus sending them an email saying, hey, I want to do something with you. And I think people misunderstand that and then run for it. And the people who are literally saying, well, where am I going to find the time? Cool, don't do it. Because the person next to you is going to find the time and you're going to be bummed out that you both started the same day at the company and one of them is now a manager and you're not. And you're going to be like, how come? And she's going to be like, I found time.
0: I found time, exactly. You've been such an awesome guest so far. And I'm thinking about a lot of, you know, the past 10, 15 minutes have been really centered around the mentor-mentee relationship or reaching out to people who might be you know, on the higher-ups? Um, do you see any power in connecting with those, call them coworkers or the people who are on my same level when I am working in a job? You must. They're your army.
1: There's, again, you do have a choice. You will find that your network is your net worth, and that is just a fact. And if you choose to agree with it, amazing. If you choose not to agree with it, also amazing. That's an individual choice. But your coworkers are your army. These are people who are all on the same level. So when you have an idea or you're trying to do something in the company and you need help, again, if I go back to this company that has a vocational trainee on the team that's working with our software, I said, to her, "I said, hey, go out to all the other vocational trainees and be like, hey, I'm looking for good ideas to do X, Y, and Z. So like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, do you have like an email list of all the people in the program? She's like, yeah, we get an email once a month from the person that runs the program. I was like, has anyone ever responded asking for anything? She's like, no. I'm like, oh my God, so you'll be the first. Respond right now. And we literally went through the email. Hey, everyone. Hope everyone's doing well. I know everyone's all over the world working on this program in different teams, different departments. I'm working on our alumni program. If you are working on anything exciting in the company that you think could be of benefit to our former employees, please keep me in mind. Thanks. Name. Boop. Sent. I kid you not. Like responses, a palooza, but also a lot of like, hey, how you doings? hey, been a second, what's going on? Hey, we've all in quarantine, so I haven't passed you at a coffee machine. Glad to hear you're still alive. Like, it just reconnected that conversation. And so it reconnects that community because part of being in a community is feeling validated to feeling worth, to getting acknowledged. So your coworkers are your community and you have to look at it like that. So I'm not suggesting everyone is in the same scenario as this vocational trainee, but I'm saying there's always some sort of a scenario. And these people have another... 40, 50 years left of their career, maybe 60 years left because no one's retiring at 60 anymore. So one of them is going to be the CEO of Pepsi. You know what I mean? One of them is going to be a a governor or a mayor or a, you know, or something. One of, you know what I mean? Just the odds are in your favor that one of them is going to go into these different things. And all of a sudden, you're going to wake up in 30 years and Frank, the idiot who worked out how to get free chocolate out of the vending machine, is going to be a senator. And you're going to be like, hey, remember that one time. So people forget about that. And think about it about school. When you're in college or when you're in high school, look at where everybody is now. Look at what they're doing. And imagine if you had those connections. It doesn't always mean great friends. And I think people also misunderstand that. It doesn't mean day to day hanging out, eating pizza. You don't have to be great friends. You don't have to agree with everything. It's just being supportive to someone else and then being supportive back. That's it. Give more than you receive.
0: I'm thinking about some people that are currently a part of our company right now. And mind blown, this just hit me right now, is the main reason why a good portion of them are a part of our company right now is because I had worked past jobs with them. And I'd connected with them on Facebook or whatever like that. I remember putting out a post and they reached out and I'm remembering how good of a job they did when they were working with me in whatever random positions. And that was the one thing that pushed them over. And now we're working together today. So I just think that's incredible. I think people need to open up their mind. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, people like, oh my God, the world works in such mysterious ways. No, it doesn't. It's pretty predictable. Exactly. (laughs) You know what I mean? No, you're just friends with Sally and Sally's friends with them. And and that's how it came. It's, I think people need to be more okay with predictability. I think people need to invest more time in themselves, their programming, where they're going and dedicate time in their calendar for career growth, not job growth, career growth.
0: Exactly. And so I know a lot of listeners currently right now are in their job search. In fact, I'd say probably most of them are looking for a job right now. Do you have any practical strategies or tips when it comes to reaching out to our network? Like, let's say that I don't even have a job right now, I'm not working for a company. How would I go back and reconnect with my
1: corporate alumni network? A great re entry because if someone who leaves a company comes back, the savings are immense for the organization. So if you have worked for a company and now you're out of work, now is a tremendous time to email a recruiter directly. Hey, because they can go into the HR system. They can see a hey, why you left. If you left in good terms or you left because of a reduction in work, if it wasn't to do with your performance, it's an amazing, hey, I worked with you guys three years ago. This is my name, you know, maybe his last four of my social. You'll see I was a high performer. I did well. You'll see my learning. These are some new competencies and skills that I now have. I would be really interested in returning, you know, would you have 15 minutes to maybe identify if there's any open positions for me. You know, again, doing the work for the person. And most recruiters will look at that as a hot lead. And doesn't matter where you are. doesn't matter how high or low you are on the food chain, bringing someone back. Remember, they don't have to train you. They don't have to do all of these things. When you come back, you already know how to log in. You already know how to do most of the job. So you're going to be productive really quickly. So it's a really simple email to send. And if you don't get a response from a recruiter, send it to another one and keep on sending. But I would tell you that Again, you have to separate yourself from going to the careers page of the company, pressing apply now, and knowing that you are competing with a bazillion people who may all well have put in more time than you. Remember, you didn't have time. You're too busy to network. So you're now competing with all the people that did have time. You've got to think about alternative strategies. And again, if you send that email to a recruiter or maybe even look for the director of alumni relations or alumni community for that company and literally ask that question Hey, I loved working. I left because of this. Here's my details. You can see I was a great employee. These are the new skills I have. Here's my where I worked currently. Here's a reference. I'm interested. Again, really difficult for someone to totally ignore you. That's all you're looking for is someone to give the decency of being like, thank you. We're not looking for anybody like you at, at this time. To which you can reply and be like, Great, put me on the, you know, put me on a list, put me on a thing. I'll check in with you in 30 days until you find something for me. But having that network, because that one person may come across a job and be like, oh was that person that sent me that email? You never know how this all comes around. Again, it's not, oh my God, how the world works. Nope. It's predictable. People remember these things. And I think you have to remember predictability. So if you're going out there also remember that you can learn a lot of the new skills that companies have right now. Companies need help with zoom and digital media and digital marketing and editing and all of these things. You can literally learn those skills on YouTube. You don't need a university degree. You need a buck 50 at the library. You know, to go learn, maybe even less on YouTube for free. So it's important to showcase the new skills that have come about in the last few years and have some accreditations for them. And there's so many places you can get those kind of certifications or whatever they mean. But every company on earth now suddenly needs, you know, remote support for Microsoft Teams. Great. Go do the course, add that to your resume because every company on earth now needs Slack.
0: Exactly. They need it. Well, James, you've been such a fantastic guest. I can't thank you enough for your insight so far. Before we wrap up and hear more about you, I wanted to hear if you had any final words of advice for people who are job seekers. And a common question I like to ask our guests is if you can tattoo anything for a career warrior, what would you tattoo? Run
1: forward. Just always run forward. If you are job seeking, job hunting, early career, run because it just pays dividends. And you can't see them today. You can't see those dividends. But can I give an amazing example? An amazing example is in my family. So, My wife has been taking a percentage of her paycheck since she started work and putting in savings. And when you start, when you're 18, 20, whatever it is, and you look in that savings account and there's $112, you're like, why am I even doing this? 40 years later, I'm going to, again, predictability, 40 years of doing it. Suddenly you look at that account and you're like, oh, wow, this makes something. So run and start just because you don't see the immediate short-term gratification of your efforts. I think that's when you, you know, earlier in your career, everything's about short-term, you know, immediate, like results, results. It's okay to plan a little bit. It's okay to start putting $7 a week into a savings account, because if you were to do that for the next 40 years of your life or some percentage for the next 40 years of your life, you're going to wake up and be totally good. And I think people need to have that recognition. I didn't do it. When I, I remember when I got my first paycheck, I think I'd spent it before I even got it. So Having that cadence and understanding is really important. Financial responsibility, which is, again, something you don't learn from a company that teaches you, that says, actually, let me show you how you're going to be able to send your kids to college if you start today type of thing. And I think, again, because what's $100 in a savings account? It's not worth it. I'll just spend it now and I'll put it in a couple of paychecks time. No, start the cadence, start the predictability and start doing things that you're going to just do. And as you get into a cycle, you're just going to do them by habit. After six months a year, whatever it might be, so my thing is run, run, do it, yeah, steal Nikes just do it I love it, I love it so much, like I'm thinking
0: about a past, gosh, I think it was uh Mark Manson or or one of those authors said, "Ready, fire, aim, instead of ready, aim, fire, because people spend way too much time just trying to get it perfect before taking any sort of action. You know, I think the concept of run just first of all, just gets me emotional because it says just gets the adrenaline pumping. It gets me excited. But I just love that, man. I think that is advice that is not given enough. So thank you so much for that.
1: And I'll tell you that my final bit is to people listening to this. Look, we sell to large enterprises. And so I don't think you're going to have a lot of listeners who are like, oh, my God, I want to buy an alumni platform. But I will tell you this. I am on the Internet. If people like what they hear, if people want to talk more, I'm pretty available to have these conversations, not in mass volume, but if someone wants to talk, look, I'm not looking for mentees. I don't have the available time openly and I'm very open about it. But if people want a little bit of, you know, progression, if people want a perspective, I'm always happy to give it. People can always find me on the interwebs and reach out. I'm fairly good at responding.
0: That's awesome. So, how can people find out more about you? Is it LinkedIn you're primarily on, or how do people get in touch?
1: Yeah, James Sinclair. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on the Twitters. I'm on pretty much all the places you would expect. And yeah, if people have a question, if people have a view, if people want some guidance. By the way, if I don't have time, I do respond to people and say, Actually, I don't have time right now. Here's someone to introduce you to, or here's a thought, or here's what you might want to do. But for a lot of people, they're like, I don't know where to start with a mentor. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to ask. No one's ever taught me how to ask for something. Cool. I won't judge you on your email.
0: James Sinclair, everyone. Thank you so much for being on the show. And for those of you listeners, I'll make sure to include those links. I'll include James's LinkedIn profile within the description of this podcast episode. James, you were awesome. You're exciting, lively, charismatic, everything that I love about podcast guests. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate
0: it. Perfect. So this concludes episode 161 of the Career Warrior podcast. Such amazing insights here, and if you are actually struggling to get into contact with people who can help you with their career, look to the people who are around you right now. Look to your network, whether it's your school or the company you work for, because oftentimes these are the people that can help elevate your career and help you to land the next job. As far as I know, if you want to go back and really get more value out of this episode, I recommend going back and repeating because repetition always helps solidify things within our memory. All right, that concludes episode 161. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.